Chapter 4 An Unexpected Blow Alberto and I sat in the abandoned police residence in Labro, our home for the evening, poring over the map of Mediterranean Europe. We were guests of the surprised but accommodating priest, who not only brought us here, but entrusted us with the keys to the building. We had beds, but no heating or running water. I tried to be the grateful pilgrim. We were trying to estimate the time it would take us to get to Jerusalem. Walking both sides of the Adriatic Sea, and then cutting eastwards through Greece and Turkey, then southwards through Syria and Lebanon, we estimated it to be 5,000 kilometers. Averaging 20 kilometers a day, we thought we would make it in nine months. However, we reasoned that as our bodies became stronger, we could walk faster. And so, averaging 30 kilometers a day, we could arrive in six months. We put away our map, confident in our calculations and ability to do it in that time. One year later, we would realize the futility of trying to plan a pilgrimage of this magnitude. The following day found us rushing to get to Terni. The hurried pace left me with knotted leg muscles and trembling knees. Forced to stop in Marmore, 10 kilometers outside Terni, we slept on the tile floor of the games room in the local church hall. We had heating that night, but ice-cold water flowing out of the taps. It was my second day without showering. I was grateful, but stinking. I slept poorly on that floor and dragged my weary muscles down the steep switchback roads into Terni. At the first church we found, we were asked to return later in the day when the priest would be available. We used that time to replenish our food supplies from the supermarket and to enjoy a lovely picnic in one of the ornate plazas. Many people walked past us that sunny afternoon. Most ignored us, but I noticed the disdainful glances of others. With our backpacks, slightly soiled clothing, and less than perfectly kempt appearance, it was easy to mistake us for vagabonds. I felt my fear of ridicule rising to the surface and wanted to scream, Look, I'm normal. I'm doing this by choice. But there was no way to do so without looking even more foolish in their eyes. I kept quiet trying to endure the bitterness of knowing that people's opinions mattered more than they should. With the weather becoming increasingly cooler, we decided to seek shelter in the nearby train station. We sat at the cafe, inhaling too much secondhand smoke, and watched travelers come and go. Two men sat nearby, backpacks and guitar case at their feet. Their clothes were tattered and their appearance disheveled. They were chain-smoking, and I could smell the liquor from our table. They occasionally glanced over, but I averted my gaze. Alberto, however, smiled at them. They greeted him and asked where we were from. I hoped he would give the briefest answer possible and listened with dismay as he explained our walk. The two men excitedly brought their chairs to our table eager to hear more. Fearing more than ever that I would be judged as one of them and not knowing how to handle this awkward situation, I leaned back in my chair and folded my arms across my chest. 
We travel from country to country, one of them said, absently petting the dog named Vagabond at his feet. His voice was hoarse and raspy, evidence of his years of heavy smoking and drinking. I play the guitar and my friend here sells his paintings. Nice to meet you, I said, trying to keep the disdain out of my voice and certain that I wasn't pulling it off. Alberto carried the conversation, speaking about the importance of following your dreams and living your truth. You know, people look at me and think I'm a failure, a nobody, the guitar player said at one point. I see them rushing around all stressed out and worried about their lives, and I know they're not happy. Me? I'm doing exactly what I love to do. I'm on the street with my guitar and my songs. Some days I have money to eat, other days I don't. I always have enough, and I never worry about what's going to happen tomorrow. I live in the moment. People call me a vagabond, but I'm a free man. Inhaling deeply on his cigarette, he asked, so who's the failure? That encounter left a deep mark on me. I had sat in judgment of another, believing myself to be somehow superior, and behaved in the same way that only hours earlier I had accused others of behaving. I felt ashamed, realizing the depth of my judgments and the work that lay ahead in releasing them. Alberto left to call his family and returned a few short minutes later, his face ashen, his eyes bewildered. My father died last night, he whispered, and walked away. I felt numb, unable to comprehend the magnitude or the meaning of what had just happened. I joined Alberto, and together we wandered the streets aimlessly. The sun began to set, and the evening air began to turn frigid by the time we finally returned to call on the priest. Before I could even complete our introduction and my poor Italian, he was already closing the door. Let's go to a hotel, please, I pleaded with Alberto. It's my treat. We've had an emotional day and we need to rest. A nod of the head was all I needed. Passersby pointed us to the nearest hotel where we found a room with two double beds and the amenities one would expect of a three-star establishment. Alberto dropped his bag on the floor and crumpled onto the bed. I immediately went to shower and watched with disgust the brown film that washed down the drain after three days without showering. The water from hand washing my clothing was equally murky. I walked out to find Alberto as I had left him. I hung my clothes on the radiator to dry and Alberto eventually stood to shower. I ordered room service, and by the time it arrived, Alberto had come out of the shower looking refreshed, at least physically. We sat down to eat. My father was a good man, he said gently, picking at his food. He was shy, quiet, sensitive. He had great depth, even though he said very little. I felt he was trapped in his life, like a bird in a cage, bound by circumstance. Growing up, I didn't understand him, and so I built an invisible wall between us. I think he believed 
that we deserved a better father. But that wasn't true. I knew how much he loved us by the way he looked at us. When I started to explore my spirituality, I knew I needed to tell my father that I loved and respected him. And one day I did. The words flowed out of me like a river. I told him that I loved him and I was proud to be his son and that he was a good father and that I understood him and his choices better now, looking at him through the eyes of an adult. I looked away from Alberto, tears filling my eyes. My father was speechless, Alberto continued. He stared at me, his face full of emotion. I hugged him. He held me tightly and we cried for a long time. It was the most intimate and sincere moment I ever shared with my father. Alberto's voice cracked and he stopped speaking. I placed my hand on his shoulder. I never would have imagined he would be gone three months later, he whispered. I'm so happy I said those words to him. I know they liberated us. I smiled at the tender description of his father. I know it's no coincidence that we spoke that day, he said, squeezing my hand. My father is walking with me and is here right now, listening to these words. I feel him closer than ever. He smiled at me wistfully. I've decided to continue to Jerusalem with you. I stared at him in astonishment. Are you sure? I asked. It's the best tribute I can give my father, he replied. I know he would want me to follow my dreams. From the little that I knew about Alberto then, his decision should not have come as a surprise that it did. When we had met on that fateful day in Finisterre at the end of the world in Spain, I only knew him as a pilgrim, a seeker as I was, someone trying to live a life with meaning and to put into practice his spiritual beliefs, although I didn't yet know the depth of them. He had met Hannah while walking the final stretch of the Camino from Santiago to Finisterre, a section I had decided to skip, preferring to take the bus. I had walked most of the Camino with Hannah, and we had become good friends. She was strong, funny, and infinitely kind. We got along famously, the tall blonde walking alongside the short, dark-haired woman. I was thrilled to see her so happy in Finisterre and to know that she had found love on the Camino. Alberto had moved to Bonn, Germany, soon after their brief meeting to pursue their burgeoning romance. Their joy was evident when I met them there on my way to Rome to begin my walk. They spoke of their future and the many dreams they hoped to realize. I glimpsed then the depth of Alberto's spiritual beliefs. He had read many of the same books as I had and been influenced by the same teachers. I saw that he prized his freedom above all else, the need to continue exploring his spirituality, even while in a relationship. He revealed that it had been difficult for him to break out of the expectations that family and friends had of him and to remain true to his spiritual path. He had demonstrated that when he left Hannah and was now doing the same thing again. <laughs>